Thank you so much, Rebecca and Anna. And I hope you can say that truly. That's the most important thing in this life. Amen. It is well with my soul. Open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2. And while we're turning there, we'll dismiss all the children <clears throat> up through age 8. If you'd like to go to Children's Church, again, we appreciate all our faithful workers, all the children up through age 8. If you'd like to go to Children's Church and open your Bibles with me to the New Testament book of First Peter, and then if you'll find the second chapter, the last couple of Sunday mornings, <clears throat> if you were here with us, <clears throat> we preached a couple of messages out of First Peter chapter 1, and I thought, especially with the election coming up on Tuesday, it would be benefit us to take a few minutes this morning and jump over to First Peter chapter 2, and see how the Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Peter, reminds us how important it is to be honorable citizens. Honorable citizens. Isn't it great? How many of you are thankful for the privilege of being in America today? Amen. Thank God for that. And on top of that, to be a Christian. And by Christian now, I don't mean just, you know, you can call yourself a Christian and not be a born-again believer. Amen? So when we say Christian, we mean not just in name only, but a true born-again believer by the mercy and grace of God. You got your Bible open to 1 Peter chapter 2. I'd like to begin reading with verse 11. <clears throat> 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning with verse 11. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, Abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul. Having your conversation, and the word conversation there, by the way, means your behavior, your whole manner of life, everything about your life, not just your speech, but your whole living, your whole lifestyle. Verse 12, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12. Having your conversation honest or honorable among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him, the king, for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God that with well-doing you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Take you back to verse 12, having your conversation or your lifestyle, your living, honest. And the word honest there means more than just not lying and stealing. It comes from a word which means honorable and worthy. By the grace of God, are we living a lifestyle that's honorable and worthy of our American citizenship? And more than that. By the grace of God, are we living a lifestyle that is honorable and worthy of the name of a Christian, to be a child of God, a born-again believer? Let's pray together. 
Father, may the Holy Spirit lead us and guide us. Lord, I know we have many things on our mind and it's easy to get distracted. I pray, God, I know we're in the midst of a spiritual battle and a spiritual warfare. Bind Satan. And God, just allows, help us to stay focused on your word today and, and uh, glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. Speak to our hearts today. May the Holy Spirit open your word, O oh God, up to us today and help us and minister to us. And we'll thank you and praise you for what you do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Do you realize today, and I know you know this, if you are, and I hope everyone in here is, as I've already mentioned, a true born-again Christian, if you've come to Christ with a repentant heart, acknowledge your sin, and you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone as your Savior. Do you know if you're a true born-again Christian, you have a dual, a double citizenship. You have an earthly citizenship, and you also have a heavenly citizenship. For example, if you're not familiar with these verses, jot them down in your mind or or on a piece of paper. In Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20, Philippians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, for our citizenship, and again, you have the word conversation there in the King James Bible, but it means, if you study, it means citizenship. For our citizenship is in heaven, from whence we look for the coming of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that exciting? In Colossians chapter 3, the first four verses, the Apostle Paul reminds us that spiritually speaking, from God's perspective, although right now we're living down here on planet Earth, from God's perspective, we are seated, we are positioned in the heavens with Jesus Christ. That's God's way of saying, from his perspective, if you're a true born-again believer, it's as though you're already there. God can see the end from the beginning, can't he? And on and on we could go. So first of all, we are citizens of heaven, but we're also citizens here on earth. And we have obligations as earthly citizens. And, the, and we also have obligations as heavenly citizens, as God's children, as ambassadors for Christ. And the fact that we have a heavenly citizenship only through Jesus Christ and the grace and mercy of God ought to certainly motivate us by the grace of God to have an honest, honorable citizenship down here on earth. Can you say amen to that? Well, what are some of our... And by the way, if I were to ask you today, for the majority of us, maybe every single one of us in this auditorium, uh, how did you become a citizen of the United States? You'd say, well, I'm by birth, I was born. A citizen. Now, we may have someone here today, and, and by the way, you can become a citizen by a legal process, and I put the emphasis on legal process, but I would say probably most of us, if not all of us, we could say we're, we became earthly citizens of the United States by birth. Now, even though earthly speaking, there is another way to become a citizen of a country, there's only one way to become a citizen of heaven. And that's through birth. That's the new birth. As a matter of fact, by the time you get to this passage, which I read this morning, the Apostle Peter has already mentioned the new birth and been begotten by God three times in this little epistle. We won't take time to read them, but you can look them up back in chapter 1, verse 3, chapter 1, verse 23, and here in chapter 2, verse 2. He mentions a birth, a spiritual birth, that Jesus talked to Nicodemus about back in John chapter 3. So just like for most, normally, when we think about becoming a citizen of a country, we think, well, you're born. 
into that country uh, and so forth. And the only way to get to heaven, to be a citizen of heaven, is again through the new birth, through salvation that only Jesus Christ can give. Well, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 15, Paul said that as citizens of heaven living in this sinful and perverted nation, our generation of, and every generation of people are sinful. I'm a sinner saved by grace and so are you. And Paul in Philippians chapter 2 verse 15 said that God could have taken us to heaven the moment he saved us, but he left us here for a reason. And we're to be shining lights in our bulletin for several Sundays now. We've had that verse, salt and light. We're to be shining lights in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation our generation of people. We're lights in a world of spiritual darkness. Amen? By the way, did you notice in this passage we read, at the end of verse 12, you have the word visitation. In the day or time of visitation. That's an interesting word. And you know, I looked it up, and you know what it means? A day of inspection. Now, those of you who've served in the military... You know what it means to get ready for inspection, don't you? And back in chapter 1, the Apostle Peter reminded us that God is no respecter of persons, and every single one of us, even those of us who are saved, are going to give an account to God one day. The day of inspection is coming, lost or saved. Now, if you're saved, you're saved through Christ. But there is the Bema seat, the judgment seat, even for Christians. And so, hey, these are important issues, aren't they? We're all going to face God one day. Even, and, and even if you're born again and he's your heavenly father, you're still accountable to your heavenly father, aren't you? And we're to be shining lights in this world. Well, what are some of our obligations? Well, first of all, we have an obligation to live righteously. I've kind of been hinting at that quite a bit already, haven't I? Now, look at these verses again and notice how an overriding theme in this, these verses is that Peter keeps reminding us to do right, to do well, to abstain from evil. Notice it again. Look at it. Verse 11. Dearly beloved, don't you like that? Isn't it great to be loved? Amen. Aren't you great? Look up here. Look up here. How many of you just are thankful that God loves you, your family loves you, and you've got brothers and sisters in Christ that love you and put up with you? Amen? Yeah, I had to throw that in there. Amen? And we do. Dearly beloved, thank God for the bond that we have in Christ Jesus in this world that we live. Dearly beloved, I beseech you. The picture there is that Peter's down on his knees pleading and begging. Say, wow, do we realize how important this is? Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims. By the way, this is at least the third time, this is at least the third time by the time you get to this point that Peter's also reminded the Christians that we're pilgrims and strangers. We're just, this world is not our eternal home. Now, my goodness, to hear some people talking about saving this planet, you'd think we're going to live on this planet for eternity. Now, we need to be good stewards of God. This is God's creation, and we're going to be good stewards. But I tell you what, if you believe the book of Revelations, God's going to burn it up one day. You talk about climate control. God's in control, and he's going to turn the thermostat up. And I take the Bible literally, amen? And there's going to be a new planet and a new earth, a new earth one day. And all. we just take the Bible as it is and don't try to explain it away. 
Now we're to be good stewards and so forth. But here three times Peter reminds us that we're just sojourning. We're pilgrims and strangers. Hey, our eternal citizenship is in heaven. We're just down here. This citizenship is wonderful, but it's just temporary. And he says, I beseech you therefore as pilgrims and strangers to abstain from fleshly lust which war against the soul. Wow, are we struggling with so many family issues and moral issues in our society today. Who would have dreamed that we would be where we are morally in our society 20, 30 years ago. And it ought to burden our hearts, amen? And God help us to show the world that, hey, God's grace, and I've said it this way so many times, God's grace doesn't swim around in the cesspool of sin with you. God's grace can not only save you from hell, it can pick you up out of the cesspool of sin and cleanse you up and make you smell good, amen, and, and do, do more for you than get down there and swim around in that cesspool with you. That's the delivering power of the grace of God, amen? So Peter said, abstain from those fleshly lusts. Verse 12, having your conversation honest or honorable among the Gentiles, whereas they may speak evil of you as evildoers. Now, you know this first generation of Christians weren't always understood. Sometimes they had to meet in secret because of persecution. And you know how it is. Anytime you see someone meeting in secret, oh, what's going on there? They talked about a new king, Messiah, coming. And they were accused of trying to overthrow Nero. And by the way, you know these weren't easy days to be living in. Studying anything about, you're talking about their president, Nero, whose brother had, his own brother had literally thousands of people murdered just for, killed just for the pleasure of it. Nero had his own mother murdered, his own brother murdered. These people were actually, they were just insane when it came to morality and things like that and all. It weren't easy situations to be living in. And so they were accused of trying to overthrow the government. All kind of things. Evil. But he says, by your, verse 12, that those who accuse you of, evil, of being evildoers, that they may by your good works, which they behold, glorify God one day. Now we ought to live right, not, now watch, listen to this. By the grace of God, we ought to live righteously and holy, not just for how God's going to bless us for it, and not just for what God will do for America because God, God judges sin and God blesses righteousness, but we ought to do it for the glory of God, amen. If God never blesses us again, if God never blesses America again, but that ought to be holy and godly for the glory of God Almighty and for the honor and glory, for Jesus' sake, amen, the one that loved us enough to go to that old rugged cross and die for us. Then he goes on to say, in verse uh, 14, and by the way, here's the purpose, here's the main purpose that God ordained government. Watch verse 14. For unto governors, as unto them that are sent by him, for the punishment of evildoers, and for the praise of them that do well. Now, I don't know who wrote the Bible, but you know what, I think they got that round backwards. Aren't we supposed to praise them that do evil and punish them that are doing good? I think I sort of see that going on in some places. Are you with me? Now, somebody's got it mixed up. Did Peter have it mixed up? Or have we got people in the world today that got it mixed up? Well, I think the answer is obvious, isn't it? 
Did you know the purpose of government is not to provide you a living? Now, don't, don't throw a hymn book at me. There are many, many passages in the Bible where God tells us we need to take care of the poor. You'll always have the... And there are legitimate needs. But the purpose of government, God-ordained government, not to provide you a living. Protection. Protection. To deter evil and to promote godliness and righteousness. Well, to do that, you've got to have a standard to go by. Right? Here it is. And once you throw this in the trash can, it becomes as it was in the book of Judges. Every man just does that which is right in his own eyes. You have no absolute standard to go by. So you don't know what to call evil. You don't know what to call good. And you find yourself getting the cart before the horse and turning everything around. And boy, that's the devil, isn't it? Creating chaos. All of a sudden, you're promoting that which God says is abomination. And you're condemning and, 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 and you're preaching tolerance at the same time. You're, you're not tolerant of those who are trying to promote godliness and righteousness. And folks, that's where we're becoming as a nation, isn't it? And so forth. So do you see the theme there for lack of time? It's obvious that Peter is saying, hey, as citizens of heaven, if you're saved, and citizens on earth, you, you have a re, an obligation to live righteously and godly. And isn't that the desire of your heart today? I believe if you're a true born-again Christian, it is, isn't it? And we're growing in the Lord. But notice, let me remind you of a second obligation we have, and that's to live responsibly. We have a responsibility to live responsibly. We have certain responsibilities. By the way, as a child of God, I'm going to heaven. It's a free gift of God, salvation. But as a born-again child of God, we're ambassadors for Christ. We have certain God-given Christian responsibilities as God's children while we're living down here. And as a citizen of America, I have certain responsibilities, certain civic responsibilities as a citizen of the United States. And by the way, verse 13 says, Submit yourself to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. Now, if we had time, we could go to Romans chapter 13. Romans 13, verse 1, the Apostle Paul said that government is ordained of God. There is no power, no authority, but God's authority, and God delegates it to man. And here Peter tells us in verse 13, submit yourself to every ordinance of man. Now, you've got to be careful, folks. You've got to study your Bible. If I just picked my Bible up and read that verse, submit yourself to every ordinance of man, I take an ordinance to mean a law or a rule. And if this is the only verse I knew in the Bible, I'd have to come to the conclusion that I have a responsibility as a Christian to obey any and every law that man passes, whether I believe it's right or wrong, moral or immoral. That's not what this verse is teaching. This particular word ordinance here has to do with establishing an institution. By the way, God ordained the, the institution of government right after the flood in Genesis chapter 9. So what he's saying there is no. And by the way, we've had it pretty good in America, haven't we? My whole lifetime. But if that government passes a particular law that contradicts God's word, no, you don't have any obligation to obey. You, know, you have to make a choice, as the apostles did in Acts chapter 5. The 
government of the apostles' day said, hey, no more talking about Jesus, no more teaching the name of Jesus anywhere. And you know what the apostles said in Acts chapter 5? And, and uh, they, they, said, uh, they said, well, whether it's right for us to obey you. Now, here's the situation we've got to make a choice, whether to obey God or obey man. And they looked at the leaders and said, well, whether you think we should obey you or God, you'll have to decide. But for us, we're going to have to obey God. But you better be willing to suffer the consequences, amen, whatever that may be. So now thank God, and let's be honest, we've not had to make too many choices like that so far in America, have we? The day may come. Now listen, if Walmart, if the, ta if the city of Stanton passes an ordinance that you can't stand in front of the door at Walmart and pass out gospel tract because you're interfering with the flow of customers, that's not church persecution, folks. You can't march down the street and say, bless God, we're being persecuted, we're being persecuted. No, there are other places you can give out gospel tracts, amen. So we got to be careful. Sometimes we can bring trouble on ourselves. You follow me? No, and so forth. And say, I'm not going to disobey God. I'm not going to obey that law. God told me to witness. Well, God also told you to be holy and godly and be a peacemaker and so forth and all. But there are times when, and early Christians face it, and the day may come when we have to face it. Tim reminded us the other Sunday night about the story in the book of Daniel of the three Hebrew children. When King Nebuchadnezzar built that golden statue and said, nobody for a certain amount of time is to pray with Daniel, praying Daniel was cast in the lion's den. The three Hebrew children said, we're not going to bow down and worship Nebuchadnezzar's statue. Why? Because God said we don't do those kind of things. And you read the story, they still respected the God. Can you, can you, you're talking about respect and authority, the position of authority. They still respected the position of Nebuchadnezzar. They said, hey, we've got to decide who we're going to obey here. And the three Hebrew children said, hey, we've got to obey God. And they said, well, you're going into the fiery furnace. And remember what T Tim reminded us that, that they said? They said, well, we know our God is able to deliver us. But they said this. Basically, they said, we don't know if he will or not. Now, you know, I struggle sometimes in my life. I found myself struggling a while ago as we were praying for Barbara Owen. There's not a doubt in my heart tonight, this morning, what God can do. But I don't know what God's will is sometimes. And I pray, God, thy will be done. And then I feel like sometimes that's such a lack of faith. That I ought to have enough faith to just say, God, not only can you do it, you're going to do it. And by the way, sometimes God might, the Holy Spirit might give you that confidence. But most of the time, we're like those three Hebrew children, aren't we? We say, God, I know what you're able to do, and we're going to obey you, whether you deliver us or let us burn. Amen. And then Tim reminded us the other Sunday night that they looked at Nebuchadnezzar and said, whatever happens to us, whether God lets us burn or deliver us, we're going to be delivered from you, O king. <laughs> Woo! We're on the winning side, amen, when you know Jesus as your Savior. So we have certain responsibilities to submit to the government. Now, Jesus reminded Pilate in John 19, 11, John 19, 11, you know, how would you like to be sitting 
in front of Pilate. Well, here's Pilate. I can honestly say, looking eyeball to eyeball with God, Jesus Christ did. And Pilate looked at Jesus and said, <laughs> Don't you know who you're talking to? Don't you know I have the power and the authority to set you free or have you crucified? And Jesus looked at him and said, You wouldn't have any power if it wasn't given to you from above. Mm. Wow, that's, that's this world we live in, folks. Now, we're to respect authority. We're to pray for our government. We're to get involved. We're to vote. Now, if government is to deter evil and praise good, are you, you, are you with me? Then we need people in places of leadership, whether it's a sheriff, whether it's a clerk of the court, whether it's a school board, whether it's a governor, a state senator, House of Representatives, whether it's the President of the United States, we need to try to get people in places of leadership that are godly people, right? Now, how do we do that? Somebody might say, well, you know what, Pastor? I've not found one verse in the Bible yet about voting. Well, I'll guarantee you Peter and Paul would have loved to have had a privilege to go to a voting booth, amen? Are you with me? They would love to have had a say-so of who the emperor of Rome was going to be, amen. But thank God in our day and age, we do have the privilege and the opportunity of voting. And one of our God-given responsibilities is that we can pray and we can have a little say in who our local and state and national leaders are going to be. Can I share a story with you real quick? I've shared it with some, I think in Sunday school and all. Last November, in the November election, in the, let me make sure I got this, in the 94th House District in Newport News, Virginia, David Yancey was the Republican candidate running for that position in the House of Delegates in Richmond. And a Democrat candidate, a lady by the name of Sally Simons or Simmons, I'm not sure how to pronounce her last, was the Democrat candidate running for that seat in our House of Representatives. And the vote was tied, somewhere between 11 and 12,000, 11,000 some votes. It was tied. And both sides, Sally on the Democrat side, Dick on the Republican side. Sound like those books I used to read in school. Dick and Sally, Jane and Dick, and all. And they both scrambling to both sides scrambling to come up with uh, another. And neither side could find another legal vote anywhere. So the law and the rules is that if it's a tie, then you you, you determine the winner by lot by drawing names. And you say, well, that's just one little district over there in Newport News. What difference did it matter? Well. When, er when all the dust settled, there are 100 seats in our state House of Delegates. The Republicans had 50. The Democrats had 49. That's how close it is. That's how we're divided as a nation, as a state. Now, if Sally wins, that means the Democrats have 50-50. Are you with me? 
which means they're in control because the lieutenant governor is Democrat, and if there's a tie vote, he's the breaking vote. If David wins, that means the Republicans have 51 seats in the House. So it's not just one little district. Whichever one of those two names is drawn out of that, whatever it is, the container, will determine who's in control. And personally, I believe by the hand of God, they, they took two names, they took two old film canisters. Remember what those little plastic film canisters were with no markings on them? Put David's name in one, Sally's name in the other, and somebody drew one, and it was David's name. That's why right now there are 51 Republicans and 49 Democrats in our House of Delegates. Now watch this. Let's back up a few things. If one more Democrat had voted, Sally would have won. And it wouldn't just affected that one little district. It would have affected the whole state of Virginia. If just one more Republican would have voted, David would have automatically won. And they wouldn't have had to, quote, draw lots. Now, the next time you think, hey, what's my vote going to count? He, and, 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 and many, many other stories could be told just like that. And by the way, whether you think your vote counts or not, man, just it's your Christian responsibility, I believe, and you could lay your head on your pillow at night and say, hey, I pray, I tried to make the best choices I could based on what knowledge I was able to come up with, and I believe, hey, thank God for the privilege of living in America. I'm a heavenly citizen, I'm an earthly citizen, and at least... By the grace of God, I took advantage of what a privilege, what freedom, what liberty I have. And I'm going to take it. Get out and vote on Tuesday. Let me share one more thought with you real quick. We're to live righteously. We're to live responsibly. And last of all, we're to live restfully. Restfully. Now, whatever happens in Virginia on Tuesday... The world's not going to come to an end till God's ready. Amen? Whatever happens, God's still on the throne. We saw this morning in Psalm 75, the psalmist said, hey, God can set them up, God can set them down. The book of Daniel again, time and time again in the book of Daniel, God used uh, Daniel. And by the way, Daniel was a believer who was involved in politics. And he reminded great leaders, when I say great from the world's viewpoint, like Nebuchadnezzar and Darius and so forth, that there's one God and he's king of kings and lord of lords, and he can sit them down, he can sit them up, and sometimes he even allows the basis of men to get into places of leadership. But I want you to know, whatever happens, once you can pray, you can vote, and then you can lay your head on your pillow at night and say, by the grace of God, my heavenly Father's in control. We're on the winning side, amen, ultimately. We know the end of it, and so forth. We can live... Re Verse 16 of our chapter here, and I'll wrap it up. Verse 16 says, As free, but not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness. You know what some Christians could have been tempted? Think of the government, the persecution. Think of the world they were living in. 
And think how tempting it would have been to try to strike back and get even with those who were taking advantage of him as God's people. And Paul, Peter reminds them, hey, don't use the liberty and the freedom that you have in Christ as an excuse to be unchristlike and unloving and so forth. And don't you like that word free there in verse 16? Listen and I'll wrap it up. It would be better, now don't misunderstand what I'm saying. It would be better to be a citizen of North Korea today if you were a born-again believer. It would be better to be a born-again believer in North Korea experiencing famine and fear and everything else that goes along with that socialist communist government. You'd be, you'd be better off a born-again believer in North Korea than to be living with all the freedoms and liberties that America offers you and die and go to hell because you're refusing Jesus Christ as your Savior. Are you with me this morning? And here we are as a nation electing people who are socialist, communist, and Muslims. And if I had time, I could share quote after quote to you today where our founding fathers said we are a Christian nation and this nation can only exist if it's built on Judeo-Christian ethics and therefore the kind of people we ought to be putting into office are Christian people, godly people, righteous people who believe and live and promote righteous principles. Wow! You know, our forefathers not only saw what could happen, I can't help but wonder if in their hearts they knew it was going to happen someday. And they foresaw where you and I were going to be. Well, it's never too late for God, amen. We can pray, we can live righteously, we can get out and vote and do our best to get the right kind of people in positions of leadership, and we can put our heads on our pillows at night and say, God, we've done our part the best we can by your grace and mercy, and now we cast all of our care upon you, and God's in control, amen. Would you bow your heads in prayer with me? Do you know the freedom? that only Christ can give? Do you know him as your savior? And are you in bondage to some sinful habit of life today that you need God to set you free from? He can do it. That's spiritual freedom. Freedom from sin and the bondage of sin. Freedom from guilt and judgment. As wonderful as all the freedoms and liberties of America. The greatest freedom in this world is the freedom that Jesus can give you, and that's freedom indeed, isn't it? Father, may speak to our hearts today. Oh, Holy Spirit, use your word to strengthen us, strengthen our faith, encourage us, and challenge us, and burden us, oh God, to pray for our nation and our leaders in these times in which we live. Speak to our hearts, oh God, we pray in Jesus' name. While heads are bowed and eyes are closed, would you stand with me just for another minute or two? And while our heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I'm going to ask the pianist to begin to play softly on the piano. Would you pray for yourself? Would you pray for those around you? Folk, we're living in serious times, aren't we? Many brothers and sisters in Christ are being severely persecuted around the world. We still have so much to be thankful for here in America. But we need to pray. We need to sacrifice, serve the Lord, by His mercy and grace, 
live a godly life for Jesus' sake. Get involved. Not be filled of that, full of apathy and laziness and be unconcerned and uninformed. God, revive us and wake us up and stir us and fill us with His Holy Spirit and use us to make a difference in these times in which we're living. Freedom doesn't come cheap. And boy, it can be taken away quickly. It can be taken away quickly. We need to be vigilant. What would God have you to do? Would you pray for your nation? Pray for your local leaders to get involved. Maybe there's some godly woman, godly man right here today, and God would touch your heart to get involved in some area of leadership in our community, our state, our nation. And the bottom line is to share the gospel that men may know the freedom and forgiveness that only Jesus can give. If we can help you today as an individual, would you come right now? If you're not sure you're saved, if you have another need on your heart today that we can help you with, would you come right now while we wait? You come. While heads are bowed, eyes are closed, Christians are praying. If we can help you, you come right now. Ask the pianist to finish this verse, and that'll be all. Make decisions that count for time and eternity. For time and eternity. And all the Lord's people said, Amen. Would you be seated just for a minute, please? And Beth, I'm going to ask you and Stephanie, if you would, to come up here with me. And uh, this is Anna's mother, Beth Trees. And uh, Beth, do you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior? Amen. Do you love Jesus and want to serve him and live for him? Amen. And this is Anna's sister, Stephanie. Stephanie, do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? Do you love Jesus and want to serve him and live for him? Yes. Amen. And both of you have followed your Lord in believers' baptism. And they desire to become members of Valley Baptist Church. And when I say Anna, Anna's over at the piano, our new assistant pastor's wife, our daughter-in-law. And we appreciate Anna. And this is her mother and sister. And they desire to become official members of Valley Baptist Church. Is there a motion we accept them into membership of the church? All right, I see two or three hands. Just take your pick in. Let's see, Ray, Ray, Ted Babinger and whose hand? Uh, Jerry uh, Shiflett and several other hands. Uh, all opposed likewise. All in favor, make it known by raising your right hand and say amen. Amen. All right, let's all stand, and I'm going to ask Beth and Stephanie to stay here at the front, if y'all don't mind. And I want you to come by, inter introduce yourself to them. Let them know that we mentioned earlier it's great to have a church family and to be loved in Christ, amen, and serving the Lord together. So come by, introduce yourself to them, and let them know you'll be praying for them. Good day. God bless you. Have a good day in the Lord. Yes,